Chapter Two of Stand By for Mars. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sean O'Hara. Stand By for Mars by Kerry Rockwell. Chapter Two. Tom Corbett's first day at Space Academy began at o five thirty hours with the blaring of the Cadet Corps song over the central communicators. From the rocket fields of the Academy to the far-flung stars of outer space, we're space cadets training to be ready for the dangers we may face. Up in the sky, rocketing past, higher than high, faster than fast, out into space, into the sun, look at her go when we give her the gun, from the rocket fields of the Academy. Within sixty seconds, the buildings of the Academy rocked with the impact of three thousand voices singing the last stanza. Lights flashed on in every window, cadets raced through the halls and across the quadrangle. The central communicator began the incessant muttering of cadets, and the never-ending orders of the day. Unit 38Z, report to Captain Edwards for astrogation. Unit 68E, report for Commander Walters for special assignments. On and on, down the list of senior cadets, watch officers, and newly arrived earthworms, units and individuals to report for training or study of everything from ground assembly of an atomic rocket motor to the history of the founding of the Solar Alliance, the governing body of the Triplanet Civilization. Tom Corbett stepped out of the shower in Section 42D and bellowed at the top of his voice, Hit the deck, Astro! Make use of the gravity! He togged at an outsized foot dangling over the side of the upper bunk. Uh, groaned the cadet from Venus and tried to go back to sleep. Philip Morgan stepped into the shower, turned on cold water, screeched at the top of his voice, gradually trailing off in the countless repetitions of the last verse of the Academy song. Damp your tubes, you blasted space monkey! roared Astro, sitting up bleary-eyed. What time do we eat? asked Tom, pulling on the green one-piece coverall of the earthworm cadet candidates. I don't know, replied Astro, opening his mouth in a cavernous yawn. But it better be soon. I like space, but not between my backbone and my stomach. Warrant Officer McKinney burst into the room and began to compete with the rest of the noise outside the buildings. Five minutes to the dining hall, and you'd better not be late. Take the slide stairs down to the 28th floor, tell the mess cadet in charge of the hall your unit number, and he'll show you to the right table. Remember where it is, because you'll have to find it for yourself after that, or not eat. Finish your breakfast and report to the 99th floor to Dr. Dale at 700 hours. And as fast as he had arrived, he was gone, a flash of red color with the rasping voice trailing behind. Exactly one hour and ten minutes later, promptly at seven o'clock, the three members of Unit 42D stood at attention in front of Dr. Joan Dale, along with the rest of the green-clad cadets. When the catcalls and wolf whistles had died away, Dr. Dale, pretty, trim, and dressed in gold and black uniform of the Solar Guard, held up her hand and motioned for the cadets to sit down. My answer to your, she paused, smiled, and continued, your enthusiastic welcome is simply thank you. But we'll have no further repetitions. This is Space Academy, not a primary school. Turning abruptly, she stood beside a round desk in the well of an amphitheater, and held up a thin tube about an inch in diameter and twelve inches long. We will now begin your classification tests, she said. You will receive one of these tubes. Inside you will find four sheets of paper. You are to answer all the questions on each page, and place them back in the tube. Take the tube and drop it in a green outline slot in this wall. She indicated a four-inch round hole to her left, outlined with green paint. Beside it was another slot, outlined with red paint. Remain there until the tube is returned to you in this red slot. Take it back to your desk. She paused and glanced down at her desk. Now, there are four possible classifications for a cadet. Control deck officer, which includes leadership and command. Astrogation officer, which includes radar and communication. And power deck officer, for engine room operations. The fourth classification is for advanced scientific study here at the academy. 
Your papers are studied by an electronic calculator that is proven infallible. You must make at least a passing grade on each of the four classifications. Dr. Dale looked up at the rows of upturned, unsmiling faces and stepped from the dais, coming to a halt near the first desk. I know that all of you have your hearts set on becoming spacemen, officers in the Solar Guard. Most of you want to be space pilots. But there must be astrogators, radar engineers, communication officers, and power deck operators on each ship, and... She paused, braced her shoulder, and added, Some of you will not be accepted for any of these. Some of you will wash out. Dr. Dale turned her back on the cadets, not wanting to look at the sudden pallor that washed over their faces. It was brutal, she thought, this test. Why bring them all the way to the academy and then give them the test? Why not start the entrance exams at the beginning with a classification and aptitude? But she knew the answer even before the thoughtful question was completed. Under the fear of being washed out, the weaker ones would not pass. The Solar Guard could not afford to have cadets and later Solar Guard officers who could not function under pressure. She began handing out the tubes, and, one by one, the green-clad candidates stepped to the front of the room to receive them. "'Excuse me, ma'am,' said one cadet falteringly. "'If I wash out as a cadet, as a Solar Guard officer cadet,' he gulped several times, "'does that mean there isn't any chance of becoming a spaceman?' "'No,' she answered kindly. "'You can become a member of the enlisted Solar Guard if you pass the acceleration tests.' "'Thank you, ma'am,' replied the boy, and turned away nervously. Tom Corbett accepted the tube and hurried back to his seat. He knew that this was the last hurdle. He did not know that the papers had been prepared individually, the tests given on the basis of the entrance exams he had taken at the New Chicago Primary Space School. He opened the tube, pulling out the four sheets, printed on both sides of the paper, and read the heading on the first. Astrogation, Communication, Signals, Radar. He studied the first question. What is the range of the Mark IX radar scope, and how far can a spaceship be successfully distinguished from other objects in space? He read the question four times, then pulled out a pencil and began to write. Only the rustle of papers, or the occasional sigh of a cadet over a problem, disturbed the silence of the high-ceilinged room, as a hundred-odd cadets fought the questions. There was a sudden stir in the room, and Tom looked up to see Roger Manning walk to the slot and casually deposit his tube in the green-bordered slot. Then he leaned idly against the wall, waiting for it to be returned. As he stood there, he spoke to Dr. Dale, who smiled and replied. There was something about his attitude that made Tom boil. So fast? He glanced at his own papers. He had hardly finished two sheets and thought he was doing fine. He clenched his teeth and bent over the paper again, redoubling his efforts to triangulate a fix on Regulus by using dead reckoning as basis for his computations. Suddenly, a tall man, wearing the uniform of a Solar Guard officer, appeared in the back of the room. As Dr. Dale looked up and smiled a greeting, he placed his fingers on his lips. Steve Strong, captain in the Solar Guard, gazed around the room at the packs bent over busy pencils. He did not smile, remembering how, only fifteen years before, he had gone through the same torture, racking his brains trying to adjust the measurements of a magnoscope prism. He was joined by a thin, handsome young man, Lieutenant Judson Siminski, and finally warned Officer McKenney. They nodded silently in greeting. It would be over soon. Strong glanced at the clock over the desk. Another ten minutes to go. The line of boys at the slots grew until more than twenty stood there, each waiting patiently, nervously, for his turn to drop the tube in the slot and receive in return the sealed cylinder that held his fate. Still at his desk, his face wet with sweat, Astro looked at the question in front of him for the fifteenth time. Estimate the time it would take a three-hundred-ton rocket ship with half-filled tanks, cruising at the most economical speed to make a trip from Titan to Venusport. A. Estimate the size and maximum capacity of the fuel tanks. B. Give estimate of speed ship would utilize. He thought. He slumped in his chair. He stared at the ceiling. He chewed his pencil. Five seats away, Tom stacked his examination sheets neatly, twisted them into a cylinder, and inserted them into the tube. As he passed the line of desks and headed for the slot, a hand caught his arm. Tom turned to see Roger Manning grinning at him. 
Worried, space boy? asked Roger easily. Tom didn't answer. He simply withdrew his arm. You know, said Roger, you're really a nice kid. It's a shame you won't make it. But the rules specifically say no cabbage heads. No talking, Dr. Dale called sharply from her desk. Tom walked away and stood in the line at the slots. He found himself wanting to pass more than anything in the world. Please, he breathed, please just let me pass. A soft gong began to sound. Dr. Dale stood up. Time's up, she announced. Please put your papers in the tubes and drop them in the slot. Tom turned to the Astro, stuffing his papers in the thin cylinder disgustedly. Phil Morgan came up and stood in back of Tom. His face was flushed. Everything okay, Phil? inquired Tom. Easy as free fall in space, replied the other cadet, his soft Georgian drawl full of confidence. How about you? I'm just hoping against hope. A few remaining stragglers hurried up to the line. Think Astro'll make it? asked Phil. I don't know, answered Tom. I saw him sweating over there like a man facing death. I guess he is, in a way. Astro took his place in line and shrugged his shoulders when Tom leaned forward to give him a questioning look. Get ahead, Tom, urged Phil. Tom turned and dropped his tube into the green-bordered slot and waited. He stared straight at the wall in front of him, hardly daring to breathe. Presently the tube was returned in the red slot. He took it, turned it over in his hands, and walked slowly back to his desk. You're washed out, cabbage head. Manning's whisper followed him. Let's see if he can take it without bawling. Tom's face burned, and he fought an impulse to answer Manning with a stiff belt to the jaw. But he kept walking, reached his desk, and sat down. Astro, the last to return to his desk, held the tube out in front of him as though it were alive. The room was silent as Dr. Dale rose from her desk. All right now, boys, she announced. Inside the tubes you will find colored slips of paper. Those of you who have red slips will remain here. Those who find green slips will return to their quarters. Blue will go with Captain Strong, orange with Lieutenant Siminski, and purple with Warrant Officer McKenney. Now please open the tubes. There was a tinkling of metal caps and then a slight rustle of papers as each boy withdrew the contents of the tube before him. Tom took a deep breath and felt inside for the paper. He held his breath and pulled it out. It was green. He didn't know what that meant. He looked around. Phil was signaling to him, holding up a blue slip. Tom's heart skipped a beat. Whatever the colors meant, he and Phil were apart. He turned quickly around and caught Astro's eye. The big Venusian held up a green slip. Tom's heart nearly stopped beating. Phil, who had breathed through with such confidence, held a blue slip. And Astro, who hadn't even finished the test, held up the same color he had. It could only mean one thing. Failure. He felt the tears welling up in his eyes, but had no strength left to fight them back. He looked up, his eyes meeting the insolent stare of Roger Manning, who was half-turned in his seat. Remembering the caustic warning of the confident cadet, Tom fought back the flood of tears in his eyes and glared back. What would he tell his mother, and his father, and Billy, his brother, five years younger than himself, whom he had promised to bring a flask of water from the Grand Canal on Mars, and his sister? Tom remembered the shining pride in her eyes when she kissed him goodbye at the Stratoport as he left for Adam City. From the front of the room, McKenny's rasping voice jarred them back to the present. Cadets, stand to! There was a shuffle of feet as the boys rose as one. All the purple slips, follow me, he roared and turned toward the door. The cadets with purple slips marched after him. Lieutenant Siminski stepped briskly to the front of the room. Cadets with orange slips will please come with me, he said casually, and another group of cadets left the room. From the rear of the room, Captain Strong snapped out an order. Blue slips will come with me. He turned smartly and followed the last of Lieutenant Siminski's cadets out of the room. Tom looked around. The room was nearly empty now. He looked over at Astro and saw his big friend slump moodily against his desk. Then, suddenly, he noticed Roger Manning. The arrogant cadet was not smiling any longer. He was staring straight ahead. Before him on the desk, Tom could see a green slip. So he had failed too, thought Tom grimly. 
It was poor solace for the misery he felt. Dr. Dale stepped forward again. While the cadets holding the green slips returned to their quarters, those with red slips will remain in their seats, she announced. Tom found himself moving with difficulty. As he walked through the door, Astro joined him. A look more eloquent than words passed between them, and they made their way silently up the slide stairs back to their quarters. Lying in his bunk, hands under his head, eyes staring into space, Tom asked, What happens now? Sprawled on his bunk, Astro didn't answer right away. He merely gulped and swallowed hard. Uh, I don't know, he finally stammered. I just don't know. What'll you do? It's back to the hold of Venusport Freighter, I guess. I don't know. Astro paused and looked at Tom. What'll you do? Go home, Tom said simply. Go home and find a job. Ever think about the enlisted solar guard? Look at McKenny. Yeah, but... I know how you feel, sighed Astro. Being in the enlisted section is, well, like being a passenger almost. The door was suddenly flung open. All off them bunks, you blasted earthworms! McKenny stood in the doorway in his usual aggressive pose, and Tom and Astro hit the floor together to stand at attention. Where's the other cadet? You went with Captain Strong, sir, answered Tom. Oh, said Mike, and in a surprisingly soft tone he added, You two pulled the green slips, eh? Yes, yes sir. sir, they replied together. Well, I don't know how you did it, but congratulations! You passed a classification test, both of you. Tom just looked at the scarlet-clad, stumpy warrant officer. He couldn't believe his ears. Suddenly he felt as if he had been lifted off his feet, and then he realized that he was off his feet. Astro was holding him over his head. Then he dumped him on his bunk as easily as if he had been a child. And at the same time, the big Venusian let out a long, long, ear-splitting yell. McKenny matched him with his own bull-like roar. Plug that foghorn, you blasted earthworm! You'll have the whole academy in here thinking there's a murder! By this time, Tom was on his feet again, standing in front of McKenny. You mean we made it? We're really in? We're cadets? That's right! McKenny looked at a clipboard in his hand and read, Cadet Corbett, Tom, qualified for control deck. Cadet Astro, power deck. Astro took a deep breath and started another yell. But before he could let go, McKenny clamped a big hand over his mouth. You bellow like that again and I'll make meteor dust out of you. Astro gulped and then matched Tom's grin with one that spread from ear to ear. What happened to Philip Morgan? asked Tom. What color slip did he have? Blue. Anything besides green washed out, replied Mike quickly. Now let's see, you have a replacement for Morgan in this unit, an astrogator. Greetings, gentlemen, drawled a voice that Tom recognized without even looking. Allow me to introduce myself to my new unit mates. My name's Manning, Roger Manning. But then, we're old friends, aren't we? Stow that rocket wash, Manning, snapped Mike. He glanced at the clock over the door. You have an hour and forty-five minutes until lunchtime. I suggest you take a walk around the academy and familiarize yourself with the arrangement of the buildings. And then, for the first time, Tom saw the hard little spaceman smile. I'm glad you made it, boys. All three of you. He paused and looked at each of them in turn. And I can honestly say I am looking forward to the day when I can serve under you. He snapped his back straight, gave the three startled boys a crisp salute, executed a perfect about-face, and marched out of the room. And that, drawled Roger, strolling over the bunk nearest the window, is the corniest bit of space gas I've ever heard. Listen, Manning, growled Astro, spinning around quickly to face him. Yeah, purred Roger, his eyes drawn to fine points, hands hanging loosely at his sides. What would you like me to listen to, Cadet Astro? The hulking cadet lunged at Manning, but Tom quickly stepped between them. Hey, stow it, both of you, he shouted. We're in this room together, so we might as well make the best of it. 
Of course, Corbett, of course, replied Manning easily. He turned his back on Astro, who stood, feet wide apart, neck muscles tight and hands clenched in ham-like fists. One of these days, Manning, I'll break you in two. I'll close that fast-talking mouth of yours for good. Astro's voice was a low growl. Roger stood near to the window port and appeared to have forgotten the incident. The light shining in from the hallway darkened, and Tom turned to see three blue-clad senior cadets arranged in a row just inside the door. "'Congratulations, gentlemen. You are now qualified cadets of Space Academy,' said a red-headed lad about twenty-one. "'My name is Al Dixon,' he turned to his left and right. "'And these are cadets Bill Houseman and Rodney Rithrop.' "'Hiya,' replied Tom. "'Glad to know you. I'm Tom Corbett. This is Astro and Roger Manning.' Astro shook hands, the three senior cadets giving a long glance at the size of the hand he offered. Roger came forward smartly and shook hands with a smile. "'We're sort of like a committee,' began Dixon. "'We've come to sign you up for the Academy's sports program.' They made themselves comfortable in the room. You have a chance to take part in three sports. Freefall, wrestling, mercury ball, and space chess. Dixon glanced at Houseman and Withrop. From the looks of Cadet Astro, freefall, wrestling should be a child's play for him. Astro merely grinned. Mercury ball is pretty much like the old game of soccer, explained Houseman. But inside the ball is a smaller ball filled with mercury, making it take crazy dips and turns. You have to be pretty fast even to touch it. Sounds like you have to be a little Mercurian yourself, smiled Tom. You do, replied Dixon. Oh yes, you three play as a unit. Competition starts in a few days. So if you've never played before, you might want to go down to the gym and start practicing. You mentioned space chess, asked Roger. What's that? It's really nothing more than maneuvers. Space maneuvers, said Dixon. A glass case, seven-foot cube, is divided by light shaft into smaller cubes of equal size and shape. Each man has a complete space squadron, three model rocket cruisers, six destroyers, ten scouts. The ships are filled with gas to make them float, and their power is derived from magnetic force. The problem is to get a combination of cruisers and destroyers and scouts into a space section where it could knock out your opponent's ship. You mean, interrupted Astro, you've got to keep track of all those ships at once? Ah, don't worry, Astro, commented Roger quickly. You use your muscles to win for dear old 42D in freefall wrestling. Corbett here can pound down the grassy field for a goal in mercury ball, and I'll do the brain work of space chess. The three visiting cadets exchanged sharp glances. Everybody plays together, Manning, said Dixon. You three take part in each sport as a unit. Of course, nodded Roger. Of course, a unit. The three cadets stood up, shook hands all around, and left. Tom immediately turned to Manning. What was the idea of that crack about brains? Manning slouched over to the window port and said over his shoulder, I don't know how your king-sized friend here passed the classifications test, Corbett, and I don't care. But as you say, we're a unit, so we might as well make adjustments. He turned to face them with a cold stare. I know the academy like the palm of my hand. Never mind how, just take it for granted. I know it. I'm here for the ride. For a special reason, I wouldn't care to have you know. I'll get my training and then pull out. He took a step forward, his face a mask of bitterness. So from now on, you two guys leave me alone. You bore me to death with your emotional childish allegiance to this, this... He paused and spit the last out cynically. Space Kindergarten. End of Chapter 2